were you able to find that trailer on the, the video? Okay, all right. Um, I'm sorry. There, for the American Gospel video that we're going to watch on Sunday nights, uh, we'll, I'll find the trailer at some point so that we can show that to you. I really want to encourage you to come and watch that. I've watched it, uh, and it is a very powerful testimony of, um, of the truth of the gospel as presented in the scriptures and how we as, uh, as the Western and American culture have misunderstood, misapplied, and corrupted it. Jerry, it's a lot like what you and I were talking about at breakfast yesterday. It's kind of the same old thing over and over again, our, our modern way of misunderstanding the one true gospel. And so anyway, I want to enc- really encourage you. It, um, it, Joseph mentioned this. It's not like a comedy it's a documentary, but it is incredibly, entertaining is not the right word. It's um, informative, interesting, compelling. It will hold your attention. It's very professionally done, and I really want to encourage you to come and, uh, and join us for that uh, on the, those two Sunday evenings, and we will have child care provided for that as well, okay? So I want to encourage you to do that. And then while I'm thinking about it, um, I hope all of you that are in this room will be back here this evening for our praise and pie time together. Um, and please don't let me forget, at the end of the service, we need to tear down some chairs in here and set up some tables in here. So if someone would remind me, I will, I will forget uh, between now and the end of the service to remember to do that. So the fact that I remembered it all is, is good. Okay, Exodus chapter 20, let me read verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Instruction number four of the ten words that God gave to Moses to give to the people of Israel here at Mount Sinai. God comes to them. He's just delivered them from the the bondage in Egypt, and God comes to them with 10 words, 10 blessings of how life will work better for them. Not 10 arbitrary, random, how can I make life hard for these people I've just delivered, but 10 blessings for the people of Israel. And this morning we're going to look together at number four. Father, would you please now help us to understand your word clearly. I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly. You know that in my heart and mind, I'm nervous this morning to communicate well. So please help me. I'm thankful that it's not completely dependent on my ability. I'm very thankful that your spirit is here with us this morning. So spirit of God, would you please Open our eyes to see and our minds to understand. Would your spirit please move our wills to obey? And Father, while I I do desire that your word would appropriately convict this morning, and we, we do, many of us need to be convicted by this passage. God, I pray that you would do something that's that's just as dependent on your spirit as conviction, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with this beautiful fourth instruction. Help us to see how good you are and how kind you are to give us the fourth commandment. Do this for your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Busy, busy, busy. We say these words with pride. You go to bed at midnight, you get up at five, you go to your normal eight to five job, 
when you run your side business and you're working on another side business. And you say things like, when things slow down, I'll do such and such. All the while hoping that things don't slow down. Because you don't know what you would really do if things did slow down. Jeremy, work is good. Hard work is good. God gave us work. We're to exercise dominion over the earth and over the animals. And if hard work is good, then 40 hours a week, that is absolute bare minimum. 60 hours a week is better. 80 hours a week is best. And if we didn't have those things like meals and sleep and family and that one and a half hour worship service on Sunday to get in the way, we'd just go nonstop. This is true in many places around the world and throughout history. This is especially true in the culture in which we live. And I mean very specifically in good old panhandle of Texas, Dalhart, America. If you can work more days and buy more cattle and buy more land and buy more tractors so that you can work more and hire more people to work more and buy more machines to work more and work more so that you can work more and have more and have more so that you can work more and work more and work more, then you are considered successful. And you say things like this. Well, God has really blessed me. Is it really God's blessing? Is that really God's blessing? Or is it your own self-imposed slavery? Have you run headlong back to Egypt? Because I also hear people say things like, well, he's never home. Or I don't even know her anymore. Or I, I know I should spend more time in God's word. And I, I know I should, should give some attention to my spiritual life and my emotional life and, and my physical life and, and my relational life. But I don't know when I'm going to do that. And you do say things like, when things slow down, we'll get to that. And you know full well they aren't going to. They aren't going to. I've lived here eight years. Things don't slow down. They're not going to slow down. This morning, I'd like to take head on what might be the biggest idol in our community. Ceaseless, faithless work. And now that I have your attention, I hope to show you something so good something so beautiful, something so wise and so helpful and so rest-giving to your soul that you leave this morning more encouraged and hopeful than you have been in a long time. The main point this morning is this. God has graciously given you the gift of rest. God has graciously and wisely and lovingly and tenderly given you a gift, and it's the gift of rest. Look with me again at this fourth instruction, this fourth word. In verse 8 of Exodus 20, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, here's what I want to do. Let's read through this. And imagine that after I'm done reading through this, I were to ask you to stand up and just give us kind of in your own words an explanation of it, okay? So I'm going to read it, and then when we're done, I'm going to call on one of you to do that. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call on one of you to do that. But you would have paid even better attention to the reading had I followed through with that. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant 
or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The the last phrase of this section might be the one that we need to hear the most. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What do you think these verses mean? What did they mean to the people of Israel? What was God communicating? Is it straightforward and that simple? Well, we're going we're gonna to walk through this together this morning. The very first thing that we're going to do is just we're just going to look at the fourth instruction. What, what is this fourth command, this fourth word from God, this commandment about the Sabbath? When we hear the word Sabbath, we immediately, it kind of conjures up for us uh, Israelite culture and the, you know, the, the things of the nation of Israel. The Sabbath in Scripture is a concept that's mentioned over and over again, well over a hundred times through the Old Testament and the New Testament, is this concept of Sabbath. Right? From, the, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, the concept of Sabbath is there. In fact, the new heavens and new earth represent eternal Sabbath, eternal ceasing, eternal rest. And the people of Israel, we know, were already experiencing this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest, right? Even the, the provision of God through uh, manna for the people of Israel. They were to collect manna six days, and then on the sixth day, they were to collect enough for two days, so that on the seventh day, they didn't have to go and collect manna that day. God was giving them a break. God was giving them a day off. In these verses here, 8 through 11, uh, as we look here in point number one, we're going to look at, at three things here under point number one. We're going to see the what of the Sabbath, the how of the Sabbath, and the why of the Sabbath. Okay, That's just going to get us through point number one, and then I still have three more points after point number one. Okay, The what of the Sabbath. I mean, what, what exactly is God asking them to do? Well, verse eight is where it's really summarized, the what of this commandment, the what of this instruction. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So let's just think about each of those phrases for a second. Remember the Sabbath day. Now, God is not using the word remember in this phrase, uh, just simply calling upon the people of Israel to, to recall to mind something. Right? We, and we, we actually use the word remember the way God is. He's calling them to action. And we actually use this word similarly. Right? If your child is headed out the door and you say, remember your lunch, you're not asking them to mentally give remembrance to, ah, yes, I've remember, I remember that I have a lunch. You're saying, go get your lunch and take it with you when you go to school today. We're using the word remember to call them to action. And God here is using this word remember in the life of his nation to call them to action. Remember, there's a day that I'm calling you to do something with and to do something about. Remember this day. Remember the Sabbath day. And it's important for us to understand what the Sabbath means. The, 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 the word Sabbath is not just another word for Saturday. The word Sabbath literally means to cease or to stop for the purpose of rest, Sabbath, uh, uh, to, to cease and to rest. When in Israel, the entire, uh, here, the, the nation of Israel is being called upon to, to remember this ceasing day. When Angie and I had the privilege of going and, and being in Israel two years ago now, maybe a little more than that, um, on the Saturday that we were there in the country, Everything was closed, and those who were uh, Israelites who were uh, who uh, observed Israelite religion, and those who were Christians who were Messianic Jews who worshipped the one true God Jesus Christ, they they stopped, and the Muslims that lived in country they, like Saturday was a day of ceasing. Businesses weren't open. Things stopped. Friday evening through Saturday evening, things stopped. 
remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And again, that phrase, to keep it holy, is the idea of something being set apart or being sanctified. They were to keep this day in distinction and set apart from all other days. Now, how were they supposed to do that? Well, again, God is giving them instruction on how they're supposed to do that. So that's the what of the instruction. Now, the how of the instruction, verse 9 and 10, give us the how. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a ceasing to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. They worked hard for six days, and we know this, right? Work, you do know this, right? That work is not a curse. Work before Adam and Eve fell in sin, God had already given them work to do, right? He put them in the garden to work and to keep the garden, to exercise dominion over the animals, to reproduce and make more image bearers on this planet that God had made. God had given them responsibility. He had given them work to do. And so work is a good thing. And God says to work for in six days, you shall do your labor. But, but endless work with no rest that's what the people of Israel had just been delivered from. They had been in the land of Egypt. They were slaves to the Egyptians. And to the best of our knowledge, they worked Sunday through Saturday. I, I, I should know the Egyptian calendar. I have a feeling those weren't the days of the week for the Egyptians. Their, their calendar looked a lot different than ours. But every day of the week, they, the Israelites were working for the Egyptians. And God, in his kindness, gives them a day. He gives them a gift. He gives them a day without the need to toil. You don't have to work. You can cease. You can put your feet up, right? Those sound almost like uh, lazy, inappropriate things in our culture, right? If, if, if you, if, if someone asks you what you did yesterday and you said, I didn't do a thing, I put my foot up all day, around here, you're kind of looked at a little bit askance, right? A little bit, a little bit of the furry eyeball, like, you didn't do anything yesterday? I mean, there's a lot to do around here, man. God in his kindness is giving them a day without the need to toil. You don't have to work, you can cease. It's a day of stopping work so that you can remember some things so that you can focus on God. And of course, we might think, well, that works. That's great for you know Israelites or some non-agricultural society. But Israel was an agricultural society. And not only were they to stop, but let, let's read verse 10 um, and, and apply it to our, our modern time. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, or your employees, male or female, or your livestock, or your tractors, or the South Africans who work for you. I think that's what, how verse 10 reads. And God was giving a wonderful gift to you, and to your sons, and your daughters, and to your employees, and to your animals, and to your tractors, and to your South Africans. Not your South Africans, you know what I mean. The why. Why is God doing this? Look in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And God here ties what he's, this, this command that he's giving, he's tying it back to creation. God is saying, when I created the world, when I worked, I worked six days, and then there was a day that I stopped. I stopped working for the entirety of that day. And, and God is here hardwiring into the fabric of the universe a seven-day week, six that work, and one of rest. This is how God operates. This is not because he's tired. He didn't, God wasn't wore out after six days of this labor and thought, whew, man, I, I need to put my feet up, right? My back's a little sore. And man, making all that stuff with them, making Adam and Eve, that was particularly challenging to get that figured out and just right. It's not because he's tired. It's because it's a foundational principle that he wanted to establish for how the world works. 
one of the whys, one of the reasons for this command is that it uh, harkens back to creation. But Deuteronomy chapter 5, 5 verse 15 shows us another reason that, that peop- the Israelites were to remember uh, the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy 5.15 says this, You shall remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out thence with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So what God is doing, he's saying, I want you to keep the Sabbath to remember that you had been slaves in Egypt, and I rescued you, I redeemed you, I delivered you. You're no longer slaves. You're a free people, and you have a free day, a day of ceasing to remember that I'm the creator and I'm the redeemer. This is the why behind the what. You have a day I'm giving you where you get to stop, and I want you to stop all the way, stop, cease, hit the brakes, turn it off, Feet up, stop, and now that you're stopped, I want you to remember a couple of things. I'm your creator, and I'm your redeemer. And on this day of stopping, we stop to remember that God is the creator, and God is the redeemer. Now, point number two. The fourth instruction teaches us about God. It teaches us several things. There's, I'm sure, many, many things. Uh, there, were, there were three that kind of jumped to my mind that I have here for us to remember or to, to learn. The fourth instruction teaches us several things about God. First of all, it teaches us that, he, that He's kind. I mean, I think sometimes we get this mental image of God that He's this you know, omnipotent, uh, transcendent Lord who is um, kind of hovering over everyone and everything and just kind of waiting for people to start breaking commands because he's going to get them. But in the fourth command, we, well, in all of these commands, we see again God moving toward his people with kindness. It's an incredible gift to the Israelites who would have just come off of 400 year, a 400-year sh- work shift. Right? Some of you work second shift, third shift, you don't get a lot of vacation, whatever. They've just come off a 400-year work shift, and the Lord blesses them with a day of ceasing. It was a day, as the end of verse 11 reminds us, that God blessed. It was a day full of blessing for God's people, a day to stop and remember, a day uh, where His kindness brings remembrance to them that He is their Creator and their Redeemer. We're going to come back to that over and over, by the way. The reason God has given this day as a day of stopping was so that the people, his people would remember that he is their creator and he is their redeemer. God is kind. We also see that God is wise, that he knows what is best. Many of you may be familiar with the story, and I don't have the details exactly right, but there was a time, I think just after the French Revolution, where the French government tried to set up a 10-day work week, scrap the seven-day rhythm, and we're going to establish 10 days. And, and people were, became exhausted, like they were working, working, working. People were exhausted. Like it, it just didn't work. It was a massive failure. They renamed the days of the week. They renamed the months of the year. They totally changed their calendar. They were going to, sh- they were going to um, show, uh, they wanted to uh, revolutionize everything. Their, the, the revolutionaries in France did. And let's revolutionize even the way we, we set up our calendar. And it was a terrible failure. God God knows what is best, and he knows that ceaseless work will wear us out, and and, and he knows that maybe maybe even worse than the physical exhaustion of ceaseless work, ceaseless work will actually begin to make us think that we are the ones who are actually making something of ourselves. See, that might be the greatest danger of ceaseless work for you, is you actually begin to think that, I'm the man because, well, God's blessed me. We become distracted. We become uh, proud in thinking that we've actually been the ones to make something of ourselves. And we start to think that we are wise and we are strong and we are influential and capable, etc. And for, for some squeezing some religion, some religious work into the rest of their work is a way for them to feel like 
well, at least I'm good. I'm, I've got the religious work front covered as well, right? Squeezing a church service and some acts of service into our already busy life is often part of the work that we're doing. But God is wise to give us a day that forces us to do something. God gave the Israelites a day that forced them to trust him. Do not gather on the, on the seventh day. You have to gather enough on the sixth day to have some on the seventh day, but you've got to trust me that it will be that every other day you tried this, it turned to worms. But on this day, it's not going to. You've got to trust me with this day. The Sabbath forces Israel to do a thing that seems unreasonable. Stop working. We see in this command, as we learn about God, we see that he is kind in this, he is wise in this, but he is also deathly serious about this command. So often we take the last six commands of the Ten Commandments seriously, but not the first, right? Honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't steal, uh, don't covet, uh, uh, don't lie. Which one, which one is that? I can't remember my hand signal. Number seven? Yeah, I think you're right. No, that's adultery. Three is steal. Uh, nine. Nine, don't bear false witness. I had to do, see, I'm telling you, that's how I remember them. My hand signals. If you're here this week, I'll show you my hand signals afterwards. Are any of the kids in here, do you think you could do them? Anybody think you could do all ten? All right, let's review real quick. This is important. Everybody, you're all going to remember this. I know some of you have done this, like you're driving down the road, and you're like, no one's watching. I'm going to try it. You shall have no other gods before me. All right, so pointing at God, no other gods before me. This is a person kneeling to a graven image. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, this one is like this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is the sign language for father and mother, right? So honor your father and mother. Uh, thou shalt not ki kill, right? So this is a sword killing someone. Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? So here's you and your spouse, and here's other people coming in between you and your spouse, right? Don't commit adultery. Uh, thou shalt not steal is taking what's not yours. Uh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Sorry, my hand's on the Bible, and I'm bearing true witness. And then number 10 is thou shalt not covet, okay? You got it? All right, good. If I, I, any of the kids, if you're, if you're a kid or if you're an adult who wants to behave like a kid, and you want to um, catch me sometime and show me that you know all ten, I'll give you a sucker. I'll give you a, a lifesaver if there's some in the thing in the back. God is serious about all of these instructions. We often take the last six most serious. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if I said, you know, uh, I observed, I observed the, the principle of the Sabbath for 40 weeks this year, and there were 12 that I didn't. And I observed thou shalt not commit adultery for 42 weeks this year. There were only 10 that I didn't. Uh, and the command thou shalt not uh, steal, I did that 50 weeks this year. There were a couple that I embezzled from my boss, but for the most part, I kept that one. Right? Like, I mean, we, we just take God's 10 words and go, oh, I'm going to ascribe a lot of weight to these. And the first four, since they're kind of hard to conceptualize, have no other gods before me, don't make graven images, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Like, uh, I, God's probably okay if I'm fuzzy with those. In in uh, Numbers chapter 15, verse 32, it says this, While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Does anybody know how this story concludes? He's breaking the Sabbath command. A man was gathering sticks on the Sabbath, and those who found him gathered sticks, excuse me, those who found him, I need to slow down, I get so excited sometimes. Those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. 
And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, just FYI, if you don't come to church next Sunday, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're going we're gonna to learn why there's some distinction between what is going on here in the Old Testament and what we practice today in the New Testament. But the principle, the thing that I want you to see is this. Like this fourth command that we might be inclined to go like, eh, maybe I'll squeeze some of that into my life or not. I'm not even exactly sure what that means in the New Testament. I mean, we're, it's Sunday, Jeremy. It's not Saturday. And we haven't stopped from everything. So what's the... What's the, where's the equal sign from the fourth commandment into my life today? We're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment. But the thing I want you to understand is this. This isn't like one of the commands that God's like, eh, you know, if they, if they get fuzzy with this one, that's okay. It wasn't fuzzy in, in Numbers. Number three, and I'm, those of you who have been with me, we've been working through uh, the, these instructions uh, we've been looking at what, what the command teaches us about God, what the command teaches us about us, and what the command teaches about Christ. That's been our, those have been the three points of every sermon we've come to thus far. This morning I've switched things up a little bit. First point was just understanding the command. The second point is what does this teach us about God? Usually I would teach what does it teach us about us and what does it teach about Christ. I'm flipping the last two. I want us first to look what does this teach us about Christ because that's part of what's going to help us understand what it teaches us. Okay, what, what does, this is point number three, the fourth instruction teaches us about Christ. There's some things regarding Jesus Christ that we need to understand very clearly. And look, every, almost every point I'm making this morning could have its own sermon. The Bible, there is, of the Ten Commands, this one is the one that's throughout the Bible the most. This is the longest in the list, and it's the one that's repeated throughout the Bible the most. I don't think any of that is coincidental. The fourth instruction teaches about, first of all, we see when we read through the New Testament, we see that Jesus himself is keeping the Sabbath command. He ceases from Friday sundown till Saturday sundown. Jesus is a faithful Israelite. He's keeping this good instruction from God, right? He probably wasn't like, oh, man, it's Friday night, Sabbath's coming. I better hurry up and get done what I need to get done. I, brothers and sisters, those who understood the instructions of God, the, the Israelites who were, you know, like, like, like us, Israel, Israelites were like us, right? Like they were really faithful ones and they were rascals and knuckleheads, right? Just like, like us. Um, and, and so those who understood God's instruction, I mean, they, there was a sense in which they were like, my week is building toward this climax of Shabbat. When we were in Israel, we would, on, we would greet each other. I, I love the word shalom for all of its beautiful dimensions of what the word means. It means peace amongst a lot of other things. Um, and on Sunday, you would greet each other with Shabbat Shalom. So it was like Saturday peace or cease, ceasing peace, restful peace. We're together today as the, the followers of Yahweh um, experiencing restful peace. Jesus observed Shabbat Shalom. He observed this. He was a faithful Israelite, and he kept the Sabbath instructions. But, but not only did he keep the Sabbath instructions, but do you remember, when you think about Jesus and the Sabbath, do you think primarily about him observing the Sabbath or, or kind of making, making uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he kind of made a scene a few times on the Sabbath, Right? A man comes to him with a withered hand. And what does he do? He heals him. And the Pharisees there begin to, I mean, they deride him for doing this work on the Sabbath. And he and his disciples are walking through a field on the Sabbath, and they're hungry, and they take grain, and they, they eat some of the grain that's growing in the field there. And the Pharisees come out against him, saying, oh, look, you're harvesting on Sunday. And Jesus says, that you will not interpret Sabbath to me with all of your additional rules that you've, that you've uh, added to it, and now it's this horrible weight upon God's people. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to tell you how Sabbath is to be understood and how Sabbath is to be interpreted. And not only does Jesus keep the Sabbath, and not only is he Lord of the Sabbath, 
and this is where we could do a series of sermons, but I'll walk through it quickly. Jesus is himself. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you're taking notes, you need to write Hebrews chapter 4 down. Hebrews chapter 4 is, we see, is where we see that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath commands are pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the Sabbath. You're like, that doesn't, I don't think that makes sense. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus is the Sabbath. Well, remember, remember what Sabbath means. Sabbath means ceasing. Sabbath means rest. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4 teaches that we are to enter, that we enter into rest when we enter into Christ. He is the fulfillment of Sabbath rest. And here's what I mean by that. Brothers and sisters, when you are saved by grace through faith, do you work for your salvation? The answer is absolutely not. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saves us. And so when we come to Christ, we are acknowledging, I do away with my works. I do not work for salvation. I cease from my labor. I cease from my work. I enter into the work that has been done for me in Christ. It is not, uh, uh, what is it? Um, Nothing in my hands that I bring simply to thy cross I cling. When we come to Jesus Christ for salvation, we come to Jesus Christ as the Sabbath our souls need. This leads us right into the fourth point. The fourth instruction teaches us. So the first and most obvious way that we, as New Testament followers of Christ, as those who are alive in in this covenant, with all of Old Testament and New Testament for our help and our benefit and our instruction, how do we keep the fourth instruction? How do you and I obey Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy. It's in Deuteronomy too. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. We do it primarily when we come to Christ in complete faith and trust in his work. That's how you and I observe this command primarily, not exclusively, but primarily. The Sabbath command was and is about faith. It's about trusting God enough to stop. It was for the Israelites and it is for you and I. It's about faith. Sabbath keeping is about stopping and trusting that God will do what he has said he will do. I'm going to stop gathering manna and trust that God said that uh, the, the provision God made for me on the sixth day is going to be sufficient for me today. Coming to Jesus Christ, I'm going to stop seeking to earn my own way to heaven and I'm going to trust in him completely. The Sabbath command was and is about faith in God. Trusting God enough to stop. We must rest from our work. Our work to earn our salvation. When we come to Christ in faith, we come to him ceasing from trying to work our way into heaven. Not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. And remember that at the end of verse 11 in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says that God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This this Sabbath day was a day of blessing and sanctity, sanctification, holiness. This Sabbath was blessed and holy. And if Jesus is the full expression of the Sabbath, brothers and sisters, who is more blessed and holy than Jesus And those who come, those who obeyed the Sabbath would receive the blessing and the holiness, the sanctification that God intended for them to receive. And those who come to Jesus Christ as the Sabbath for their souls receive blessing and holiness from God. If Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath, then what comes to, then then the blessings of the Sabbath come to those who come to him. And so the way we keep the fourth commandment is to come to Christ in faith. 
Remember last week we said that the way we keep the third commandment is by calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Remember, um, uh, uh, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, but rather to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That's how we keep the third commandment first and foremost. And here in this fourth command, the way that we keep this fourth command first and foremost is by coming to Jesus Christ as our Sabbath. So the primary reality for us to observe in this commandment is spiritual. And for some of you, you might think the primary thing is spiritual. Like, is, shouldn't the primary thing be something physical and then the secondary thing be something spiritual? No, the spiritual thing is the primary thing. Spiritual doesn't mean non-real. Spiritual is very real. In many respects, it's the most real. It's the most eternal of what we interact with. The most important thing, the primary reality for us in this is a spiritual instruction. You could take one day off every seven days and die and go to hell. You cannot die and go to heaven without coming to Jesus as your soul's Sabbath. The next question, which immediately follows, though, for us, is, okay, Jeremy, you still haven't told me what I really want to know from this sermon. What am I supposed to do on Saturday and Sunday? What can I do on Saturday and Sunday? What limitations are you going to place upon me for Saturday and Sunday? And like, I kind of want to just be like, I'm done. I'm going to close in prayer. Go figure it out. That won't serve you very well, I don't think. It, it is, uh, there, are, there are so many books, so many authors, so many divisions over what exactly must this look like? And what I hope to do here this morning with the part of the sermon that is not the most important, but the part that probably most of our questions lie in, I want to give us some biblical principles that will help you leave here today encouraged and thoughtful about how God might have you incorporate more of this into your week. The next question is, do we have to keep this instruction? Are we supposed to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, and obey it exactly as written? I have to stop on Friday night at sundown till Saturday night at sundown, and I cannot work. I mean, Jeremy, we aren't taking Saturday off to do nothing. And you've already said that Jesus is the one who fulfills the law. He, he, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. The New Testament saints don't seem to be observing the Sabbath like the Old Testament saints were. Well, let me, let me kind of throw out four options, four, four options of what do we do with this passage. And there are, there are Christian people who observe all four of these options. And I'll tell you which one I, I believe to be the, 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 the best one or the one that at least the one that we've been practicing here and the one that I do believe is the most faithful. One option is what we would just call Seventh-day Sabbatarians. Like there, there are Christian people who view Saturday as the day that, Christian, or that, that Israel, the Israelites ceased from all their labors, and that's the day that we are to cease from all our labors. And there are, there are good Christian people who I know who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they also believe that Saturday is the day to stop. Seventh-day Sabbatarians, and there's Seventh-day Adventists, there's Seventh-day Baptists. There's a lot of different denominations that use Saturday as their day of, of ceasing. And while I think that you could give them logical consistency, you could say, well, you know, I mean, they're looking at the Old Testament, and they're just doing the best they can. I, I don't think that, that, I'm not convinced scripturally that that's the right approach to take. There are those who would call themselves Lord's Day Sabbatarians. And again, I have personal good friends who would hold to this position. And so what they say is, um, uh, and we're going to look at a, a couple of the places here in just a moment, but in the New Testament, it seems like things are shifting from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, God's people were meeting on the first day of the week on the Lord's Day. Um, uh, people were gathering to collect tithes and offerings. Paul was preaching on the Lord's Day. The, the habit of the early church seems to be having met on the Lord's Day. There's, there's kind of 2,000 years now of history of people primarily meeting on Sunday. And so they would say all of the same principles that applied on Saturday in the Old Testament apply on Sunday today. 
right? So you can go and worship, but no work. No, don't go out to eat because then you're making somebody else work. Don't, right? Like just there's, there's no, no work except for those that are absolutely, you know, we want our doctors and police officers. There's a few public service jobs that we want people to continue with. Other than that, no work. Okay, again, I see some, some logical clarity there, but, but not complete and certainly not what I don't believe to be a totally biblical understanding of the Lord's Day there either. The third category, uh, and I'll just let the cat out of the bag, this is the one that we practice and the one that I think uh, understands the, the, the Scripture best, is just called Lord's Day observance. It's the position of most evangelical Christians around the world and in many respects throughout, throughout the last 2,000 years. Uh, under the Mosaic Law, Saturday was the day for ceasing in worship. It appears that after Christ, the first day of the week became the day where Christians celebrated the resurrection of Christ. But there doesn't seem to be in the New Testament, or there it, well, for the Ten Commands, all nine of them are reiterated in the, in the New Testament, except this one. This one's not explicitly restated in the New Testament as, Thou shalt keep this Sabbath day as you did in the Old Testament. And in fact, Jesus is referred to as this Sabbath rest. And the practice of the New Testament saints is not one of strict Sabbath keeping. So this Lord's Day observance is a third category. I'm going to expand on it in here in just a, a, a moment. And then a fourth category, which I think is not the right position, but I think it's the one that most people practice. It's, it's, it's almost like a subcategory of the Lord's Day observance. And I call it pragmatic Lord's Day observance. Those who go to church when the weather is, isn't perfect enough to go somewhere else. Or there's a game on that might prevent them from doing so. Or there's a practice schedule that prevents them from doing so. Or they've had a busy week and they needed some extra sleep on that day. And it's just a pragmatic Lord's Day observance. It's almost like they've worked out a deal with God where they understand, I think if I give like 60% of my Lord's days to the Lord, God's going to be okay with that. He's not gonna, he's, I'm not going to be stoned. I mean, there's not going to be like a numbers thing happening to me here. So the answer to whether we need to keep this command, I think, is slightly complicated. Yes, we must. The principle of rest must be something you need to grapple with and apply. I think you need to ask yourself, how would God, how would God, sorry, I can't read my own notes here. How, how would God have me take the principle of Sabbath rest and the New Testament command to gather with God's people on the first day of the week? How would God have me bring this into my life in a way that is honoring and faithful to what God has for me? Everyone in here, myself included, wants me to impose some kind of legalistic standard. It would make it easier in many respects, wouldn't it? You have to do, and you wouldn't like whatever, whatever we put on the list you wouldn't like, I wouldn't like, but at least it would make it easier and clearer, right? And I think God, like so many other areas with all of these other commands, when he brings them into the New Testament, he says, not only can't you commit adultery, but you can't even look on a woman with lust in your heart. God takes this, this physical external thing and he brings it to a spiritual level and then heightens it and raises it. And I think we should look into the Old Testament and see what did the Old Testament believers did. Now, now that we know what is true of Christ and the sacrifice that he has made, do I somehow want to think, I'm, man, I'm glad I don't have to give time to Jesus. I'm free from that crazy stuff. But I do think we have to wrestle with how am I going to put this into practice? Ask yourself, what, what is it in me that's resistant to having a day of worship and rest and mercy? Why do I not want that? Why do I push against that? Do I love money? Do I love control? Do I love pleasure? There are some who want to work because you're afraid not to. You're afraid to be left with your own thoughts for a day. You're afraid to be left with, what would my bank account do for a day? You have faith in yourself, not in God. Remember, Sabbath keeping is faith in God. It's actually doing something that seems unreasonable. Stopping. 
to receive more blessing. All of us think if I do more, I'll get more blessing. God helps them who helps themselves. If six days is good, seven days is better. Here we go. And God is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to do something that runs counter to the fabric of your identity. I want you to stop for an entire day. Now, again, some of you are already being like, dude, does that mean that I have to do? I'm just telling you, let's take these principles and apply them. I'm not done, by the way. The principle of Old Testament instruction is to stop working and have faith in God. I do think there needs to be some element of that in your weekly rhythm. You knew I was going to bring up Chick-fil-A as an illustration, right? Never on Sunday, right? How many of you have heard the funny Tim Hawkins uh, song about Chick-fil-A? All three of us can laugh together about that later. Chick-fil-A does incredible business, right? Like, I mean, they, I mean, yeah, they're a little overpriced, but it's good, right? It's Jesus chicken, right? It's good stuff. Imagine, let's just for a moment, imagine if we were allowed into board meetings, executive meetings, imagine the discussions that have, they, they have to have happened. We know these discussions have happened we could make an additional one-sixth of profit if we would open on Sunday. That, that's got to represent hundreds of millions of dollars, right? I mean, I don't know money, but I'm assuming over the course of a year, right, 52 more days of profit, that's going to be a lot of money. In fact, okay, imagine I'm, I'm in, in the board meeting with the, with the executives. In fact, Get this, we could keep our Christian testimony, right? We could still like, give to charities, and we could, we could kind of be the it's my pleasure people. Um, and we could keep our Christian testimony and probably even make more money on Sunday than any other day of the week because we'll get all the Christians coming out of church, right? We'll give a church discount. Show us your church bulletin, and you get 15% off, right? And we'd have people coming and getting bulletins and going Chick-fil-A Chick is too far away. And instead they said... No, and they said no to something that makes perfectly good sense. They said no to something that's hard to say no to. They said no to something that everything rational and reasonable says this would be better. It would be better to be open on Sunday, but we're not going to do it. We're going to have faith in God rather than faith in ourselves. And I don't know. I mean, maybe God will tell us someday, right? But maybe one of the reasons Chick-fil-A is so prosperous and blessed is because they just decided to go, no, we're going to stop. Turn the lights off, close the door. We're stopping. For 24 hours, you can't get the greasy chicken sandwich and the milkshake. We're stopping. Notice the faith that communicated to the watching world. This morning, I got a text message from a church member with a graphic, and it said, Sabbath is a sign between God and his people. If you became convinced of some of these truths and began to act differently than everyone else around you, I, I assure you, in this community, you would get some strange looks. His corn's still standing, right? Um, you're like, what? Something needs, something needs to go on here. But what if the testimony was, I'm a, I, work, I work hard six days a week. And there's one day a week where I'm willing to stop, where I'm willing to show that my faith is not in me and my wisdom and my prowess. And again, I'm, like, I'm not saying you have to. I think God is bringing you a gift and he's saying, I've got a blessing for you and I want you to figure out how to work it into your life. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with this command in particular is we feel like it's a restriction rather than a blessing. We feel like, doggone, I have to? I mean, Jesus comes to you, God comes to you with ice cream saying, I got this delicious thing. Look, I'm bringing this blessing. And you're like, I don't want to. 
we misunderstand the beauty of this wonderful gift. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Old Testament shows us that the Sabbath was to be a day of ceasing for rest. Throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, we see God's people gathering for worship. In both Testaments, we see acts of mercy being encouraged. If an ox falls into a ditch, you get it out. If someone's hungry walking through a field, you feed them. If someone has a withered hand, you take care of that. I believe that we should seek to have a day of rest and worship and mercy in keeping with this biblical principle throughout the Bible. The Bible commands, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. By implication, we, saw, we see in several places in the New Testament the church gathering on the first day of the week. The biblical principle throughout the Bible is this of Sabbath rest. And the Sabbath was a weekly day. There were also uh, Sabbath rests that were monthly and annually, and, and every seven years there was a year of Sabbath rest. The principle throughout the Bible is this stop and trust. Stop and trust God. For 2,000 years, the church has been meeting on the first day of the week, and there are different reasons and, and speculations and theories as to exactly how that transition happened. It does seem from the New Testament like that has been the church's practice, or that was the church's practice uh, in the New Testament, and we, we continue that. So ask yourself, how might God have me do this? Again, you might think, well, does that mean I can never travel on Sunday? Or does that mean I could never harvest on Sunday? Or does that mean I could, nope, stop. Those are the wrong questions to ask. How can you bring this blessing into your life is the right question to ask. I, I know a farmer in, in this community, doesn't go to our church, but I know a farmer in this community, and he's a very, very successful farmer. Um, and he just decided years and years ago that he was, that, that neither he nor his crew were going to work on Sundays. And I've heard, that there, I've heard more and more that there are crews like this. And I'm not saying that anyone in here has to do this. I just want to give you an example of someone who's been putting this into practice. He says, if a motor goes down, we'll check it. If we can restart it, we'll restart it. If it's broken, we'll fix it on Monday. He said, I've never, had a, I've never lost a crop. I've never had a problem that couldn't be corrected and fixed on Monday. And this is someone who, objectively speaking, is financial. Like, th this isn't like a farmer who's barely making it because he's lazy and doesn't work on Saturday or on Sunday. Uh, this is a very, very successful businessman in our community. I know another family. Again, they don't go to our church here either. Very successful, very highly educated husband and wife. They are, again, financially very successful. And for the last six months or so, uh, they've been practicing where from four, from around four in the afternoon on Saturday to around four in the afternoon on Sunday, they stop. And the, these are busy people with young children, and the young children are involved in sports, and they are, I mean, this is a busy, busy family. And I was talking with the dad about it, and he said, yeah, we just like literally have hit the brakes. Like Saturday night is not movie night. He said like we, we build a fire in the fireplace, and we stop, and we talk or play games and on, on Sunday, we go to church, and then on Sunday afternoon, we'll take a nap or we'll read or that sort of thing. And he said, at first, my kids did not like this. It was like, this is, whoa, way too much, like, uh, but I need to go to a friend's house or we need to be doing something or working on something or watching a movie or something. And I think many adults may find that to be their experience as well. Like, whoa, you mean like, how nothing is nothing? Like, what is no work, no work? Again, for, for me to start listing, here's how you have to use, uh, would, be, would be me uh, adding the law that the Pharisees added to the, this gift. Right? When we start adding all the principles and all the law and all the therefore thou must do, you have to use your day this way, the gift that God has given us suddenly becomes this, this burden. So I want us, brothers and sisters, I do want us to be convicted where we need to be convicted, that God has given us this principle of rest and worship, and, and we need to bring that together in, in, a, in a, uh, a regular part of our weekly pattern. And it's okay for you to stop all the way, stop. And some of you, you know, your life and business and work has a lot more questions than others, right? For some of you, it's like, yeah, I'm, I work 8 to 5, Monday to Friday. That's not very many of you in this room, 
There's a few of you in this room like that, but that's not very many of you. Some of you, the, 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 uh, the way that you answer, the way that you bring these principles into your life is going to look different than others. But I don't want you to be afraid of thinking through, God, how can I obey this principle of, of stopping to trust? It, it is going to demand, I mean, it, uh, the reason this is a faith principle is because it makes more sense to keep working. It makes more sense to not stop than to stop. It's rational and reasonable to keep going. And God says, no, I want you to stop and let your faith be in me. If you're an unbeliever here this morning or you're listening to this, I know at least one person who wants to listen to this later who isn't here this morning. If you're an unbeliever, the, the first and primary, the most important thing that you can do is come to Jesus Christ for the Sabbath rest of your soul. That, that is the main point Jesus wants us to take away from this. Believers, know that this instruction is for your good and for his glory. He has given you rest in his son. He offers you eternal rest and the eternal Sabbath. And he offers you rest now in your weekly pattern of working hard for him and then stopping and in faith trusting in him and remembering that he is your creator and redeemer. So on Sunday, we gather, and at least for now, we've stopped. And we're remembering some things. We're remembering that he is our creator. In just a moment, Josh is going to come and we're going to sing, I will glory in my redeemer. So we're, we're obey, we are obeying this right here together this morning. We've stopped and we're remembering, I have a creator, I have a redeemer. We worship him together. He's given you rest in his son, Jesus Christ. He will bring you into eternal rest and he offers you rest even now. God has graciously given us the gift of rest. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the music team to come up.